This is Aviation Careers Podcast, an aviation podcast about living your dream and pursuing an exciting aviation career. Your host, Carl Valeri, has over a decade of experience counseling pilots. Aviation Careers Podcast will help you navigate towards your aviation career goal. Here is your host, Carl Valeri. Welcome to Aviation Careers Podcast. My name is Carl Valeri, and this is the podcast that inspires, informs, and also is transparent about aviation careers. We're still transmitting from the road in the midst of moving. As some of you have just picked up listening, I'm actually moving from one location to the next still, moving to Lakeland, Florida, all the operations. Before we get started, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, scholarships and deadlines. You know, a lot of scholarship deadlines are fast approaching. Remember, you can go to aerospacescholarships.com to find out more about our scholarships guide. We have over $10 million in scholarships, but uh, one of the scholarships I just thought I'd highlight uh, is an example of a deadline that's approaching. It's the SMS Pros Aviation Scholarship, and their deadline is actually July 1st, and it's swiftly approaching. And the scholarship is like $1,000. It's $1,000 and only requires three uh, 500-word mini-essays on aviation safety. Okay. Now, this scholarship can be found in our book on iTunes or in the Kindle store uh, at aerospacescholarships.com. There's a link to that. Uh, so Amazon, Kindle can be uh, uh, read on and also in the iTunes store and the iBooks. Uh, so check that out. Uh, it's the Aviation Safety Management Scholarship from SMS Pro. I have a link at the pick of the week at the bottom of the show notes. So check that out, episode 144. Okay, moving on, let's take a look at some of our questions from the listeners. And of course, if you have a question, write me, feedback at aviationcareerspodcast.com, and uh, tell us your story. Also, if you want to inspire the other listeners, we love hearing stories about what people are doing in their aviation careers, because we're supposed to be inspiring those that are listening. I know it's a tough journey. Uh, It's not easy becoming an airline pilot, but it's a lot of fun. Uh, Also, if you're into other aviation careers, uh, mechanic, etc., it's a wonderful place to be. Anything in aviation is awesome. Anything in aerospace is awesome. People love their jobs. That's what's really cool about this industry. Anyway, let's get started uh, with our first listener. Uh, says uh, He starts off with, I loved hearing Jim's story in episode 137. I am following a very similar path, and it was so inspiring to listen to. I'm starting a little later in life myself. I'm 39 with teenage kids, a mortgage, car payments, etc. You know, the normal stuff. I work as an avionics technician, AMPIA, and have worked in aviation maintenance for the last 17 years. Got my private pilot certificate last summer and my 107 certificate shortly after, and have decided that I want to make a move from maintenance to flight operations. I hope to do it with my company, but I am not ruling out anything, not even the airlines. Even though we are corporate, my company has requirements that are going to take a little work to meet as they are basically looking for ATP-level pilots, and this seems to be the case with most professional pilot jobs. I just purchased my own Cherokee 140, instrument certified, and am flying as much as possible. I've also signed up with a 141 school that is about 30 minutes flight time for me to start training for my instrument rating and single and multi-engine commercial ratings in June. I chose the 141 school because they are VA-approved and have quite a bit of my GI Bill left that can make a healthy dent in flight training costs. My hope from there is to get my CFI and start building time. I've put all this in a five- to seven-year plan as I I I have to keep moving towards all the way through. But I haven't lost hope and that 
it is doable. Listening to Jim's story simply confirmed what I already knew. I am curious if you have anything in the works that addresses ways for career changers, specifically those of us that will continue in our current jobs to move forward after the commercial and CFI. Also, I know that this show is geared primarily at airline career, but I have also heard you ask for those of us in other areas of aviation to reach out. If I can help with anything from a maintenance aspect, please let me know. I learned something new from just about all the podcasts that I listen to and always come away a little more inspired. Please keep them coming. Well, we're going to keep doing that, and, and thanks for those kind comments. First of all, uh, we started off with uh, primarily doing aviation jobs, everything aviation. Uh, unfortunately, unfortunately, I'm not so sure how to say this, but the uh, they're just hiring so many pilots right now. So most of what we've been talking about is airline pilots and those careers. There's so many other really cool careers in management. There's also educational careers that are out there. Uh, remember, for every pilot that's out there in an airline or that's flying in general, there's about six to eight other people that are supporting that operation. There's so many other things to do in aviation. So yes, we're trying to focus on that. But uh, as you can tell, most of our questions come from those folks that are, are looking at getting into aviation careers as a flying job right now, specifically airlines, because they're hiring so much. Uh, that, of course, will change someday, um, but uh, hopefully not in, in the near term. Anyway, getting back to your question as far as career changers, yes, we have a lot of people doing that. Most of the people that I coach actually uh, are people that are looking at trying to keep their current job and getting into another avi- into an aviation career in general. Uh, that's basically what I've done. As a matter of fact, I have to say most of my career, I've had probably two or three jobs at the same time. Uh, specifically, look at this, what I'm doing here with the podcast. I mean, think about it. I mean, this is just a whole nother job that I'm doing here with the coaching, et cetera. I truly, and a lot of people make fun of me for this, but I really don't have any days off. All my days off are just doing this podcast and helping people move forward in the career. So I work seven days a week and absolutely love it. Uh, it's uh, kind of a hobby turned into a into a job, which is really cool. I mean, helping people was kind of a hobby, and now it's turned into a, a full-time career. I spend more time doing this. So yes, you can do two things at once. Uh, the problem uh, comes in, uh, the challenge, I should say, comes in when you actually are trying to do two things at once and also do a great job where you work and try to also do a good job in your future career. So be very careful what you do. Make sure that you concentrate on what you're doing right now because you owe it to that person that you're working for, those people you're working for, is to concentrate on what you're doing currently. Uh, again, if you're looking at, uh, if you look at all my, well, I guess you can't look at my, all my coaching students, but all my coaching clients are primarily, 90% are career changers. And uh, all their stories, some of them, those stories are out here right now, but it's really cool to hear from those folks. I've asked them to actually write in You'll actually hear some of their stories about what they've done while they've been involved in other jobs. Again, the most important thing is keep the job you have that's paying the bills. And then once you make the break, then you start concentrating on the job that's in aviation. But uh, there's that fine line. It it switches over. And you'll know when. Uh, Sometimes it's hard to make that decision. And that's how we help with the coaching uh, at aviationcareerspodcast.com slash coaching. So hopefully that's helped you a little bit. Uh, If you are a career switcher, just like most people are, uh, everybody does something first, and then they move on in life. Uh, You know, your first job usually isn't your last job in life. And uh, we all can relate with that. Uh, You know, I started off, Actually, I was pumping gas and and you know cutting lawns and then driving a tow truck when I was younger, and uh, I'm not doing that anymore. I haven't done any of that as in a long, long time. So we all switch in life, that's for sure. 
Anyway, thanks for the question. I hope that's helped. Uh, moving on to the next one. Here's a good one about automation. Uh, wants to know if automation is going to take over aviation. Says, I'm an avid listener, av geek, and potential career switcher at 23 who currently works in finance. Just a few questions that I need to get out after talking to various friends about flying in the future of the airlines. The past decade seems to have been the most stable out of any period within the airline industry. Knock on wood. However, this pilot shortage seems as if it's no longer impending and is here and may even become an issue for hiring departments, not only for regionals, but eventually the majors. By the way, you can go to aviationcareerspodcast.com slash pilot shortage. I talked about this years ago. The pilot shortage has been around for a while. It's just that the rest of the world has finally caught up and started talking about it. Uh, and it's funny. We have a, a lack of qualified pilots. We've had it for a long time, but uh, now people are, are actually speaking about it. Uh, even the unions that came out against me uh, speaking about it years ago are now starting to realize there's a bit of a shortage. Um, it's it's really it's going to be for a while, I think, I think uh, except if we have a real downturn in the industry, of course, uh, or in, in the economy in general. Uh, no matter how good the economy is, a really bad recession or depression can can change things, as, as you know, being in finance. Anyway, here, continue. So this current state of aviation industry market leads to two big questions for me. Do you think airlines will begin ab initio programs where they will begin to pay for aspiring pilot students' ratings, etc.? They already have. They've done it in the past. They did it back in the 50s. Uh, it's nothing new. Uh, basically, you could get your instrument rating or private, and the airlines would hire you and bring you on and pay for those ratings. Uh, the ab initio from the beginning, that means ab initio, uh, depending, uh, it's going to have many different forms and colors. It might come in the form of, okay, you have to have your instrument, you have to have your commercial, then we'll continue on and, and get the rest of your ratings. A great example is right now, most of the regionals will pay to have your CTP, ATP done, your certified training program to sit for your ATP written exam, and they'll pay for that. Uh, and there's lots of different opportunities there. Again, it's just like anything else. As there's a bigger demand or a lack of supply, then, of course, the prices go up. And then, of course, you see that go down. When I started out in the industry, they I had to pay for training. Well, actually, the month I went, they stopped doing it. So I was lucky. I lucked out. But the people a month before all had to pay for the training. Totally different. Anyway, he continues, I think this could easily create more supply of pilots as a barrier to entry in, in this expensive flight training. And that is true. Ab initio has been around forever. I've been doing uh, career coaching for a lot of ab initio programs, primarily in Europe. Uh, I've been doing uh, most of my, my coaching there and getting ready for interviews for the ab initio programs there. Uh, and different airlines like Turkish Airlines, etc. They've been around forever. And uh, I'll give you a good example of a ab initio program that's been around forever, and that's the United States Air Force. You know, they start everybody from the beginning, and they move on from there. So it's it's something that's been around, and I think it's going to continue uh, to move forward. It's going to change. It's going to evolve. Uh, and uh, as far as the expenses are concerned, I think a lot of the scholarships out there has been helping, uh, and the GI Bill has been helping with some people, but will the airlines pay for it? The problem is this, okay, let's talk a little bit about where the shortage is, okay? It's primarily in the regional airlines. If you remember, a lot of the shift in flying has gone to the regionals. You know, in some airlines, more than half of their, their takeoffs and landings are done by the regional pilots. So this is where the shortage has become. In the major side, if you look at all the positions in the majors, they could all be 
be filled by all the regional pilots, right? You can, we, can, we can take all of them and shift them over. So it's always going to be on the regional side you're going to see that shortage. What happens on the major side and is that you're going to get your qualifications are going to go down. Uh, you don't really aren't going to see people that is not, it's not going to be non-existent. Remember in the days where we had those people that were training or being paid to train at the majors, there wasn't this real regional airline like we have now because the term regional airline is involved. Remember back then it was these little turboprops flying from point A to point B a few hundred miles away. Now regional jets are going, gosh, they're going for four hours across the country going, you know, seeing three, four countries in one day. That's not what regional flying was before. So that used to be done by all the majors. Uh, so there's been a big shift there. And there's a big push right now for the major airlines to push more flying to the regionals. Why? Because, you know, regional pilots are paid less and the costs are lower and they also use contractors and they can shift contractors to a less expensive option. So you're seeing that happen here. So that's, it's an interesting, it's, it's incredibly dynamic. And I, I'd love maybe to talk about that in a whole episode, but uh, yeah. Yeah, Ab Initio is here. Uh, what form does it take? Who knows? A lot of them that are out there, that Ab Initio is going to cost you some money. So anyway, moving on to your second question. Ask, do you see the future of flying slash pilots becoming so automated that there may not be a need for a first officer or eventually a captain? With so many innovators creating self-driving cars, etc., do you as a pilot and many pilots within the industry forecast such an event happening? Personally, I would not feel comfortable with a robot flying my airliner. However, I've always wondered with technology changing so many careers and really automating tons of various careers, do you think that one day an airline pilot would be a thing of the past? Obviously, I sure as heck hope not, because this career is beautiful, rewarding profession, and one that I do not see changing for a long time. As always, any input from that you give on your show is irreplaceable. I, you know, thanks, man. I appreciate that. Uh, no, I really don't see the pilot coming out of the airplane. We've seen positions uh, as pilots move. Uh, for instance, the navigator, and also uh, you've seen the flight engineer. They've gone by the wayside. Um, you see, uh, and I love I, I use this uh, as an example. If you look at Star Trek, you have all these people, you know, flying the Enterprise, etc. And uh, a lot of times, your pilot has become more. And we've already talked about this. Pilots become more of a manager, not just a, a flyer of the aircraft. You're always going to have to have somebody in charge of that. The things happen, and they're so dynamic. Um, will we get to that point where we'll have that automation? I don't think so. And uh, one of the reasons being is that you're never going to be able to replace those people that are controlling that aircraft. Um, and because they're all different business units that are being moved, you're moving a person from point A to point B. It's not uh, similar to like a rail where it's on a, on a railroad and there's, there's not as much of a need for someone to be there. I know there's a lot of trains that have engineers and have friends that are engineers and, uh, in that case, like there are automated trains, and even those have cer certain issues and also have somebody to actually manage those from a remote location. And I think that's what you're getting at is, is there going to be a point where there's not going to be an actual pilot within the aircraft? I don't think so. It's too dynamic of an environment. Uh, number one, we don't just fly the airplane. That's, uh, you know, takeoffs and landings, emergencies. That's what we deal with. Uh, we manage the situations. Uh, there's It's such a dynamic job. We're not here hired just to, you know, pull on the yoke and push and pull the aircraft and land and take off. We're, we're hired to make decisions continually about people's safety all day long. And that's really what we're doing as pilots. So, you know, I, I, it's interesting to, to hear these comments of us being replaced. I don't think that's going to happen. I, I saw that happening uh, 
I was talking to some surgeons about that, discussing certain procedures that I felt could be automated and robots uh, doing the whole procedure. But it, still, in general, you're going to have that person still in there. I have a friend, he's an anesthesiologist, and uh, we were kind of relating to this, saying, hey, listen, you know, they could automate you out of there. You don't, We don't need you, the anesthesiologist. The computer does everything. Well, obviously, that's not true. And, and there's, you know, I jokingly said that. If something goes wrong, there's there's so much more than than just what the computer says, and there's so much more out there that we do in such a dynamic environment that no, I don't think we're gonna ever see anesthesiologists go by the wayside. We're not gonna see pilots go by the wayside. So, I sure hope that has answered your question, and I appreciate that. Very interesting, interesting topic. Very exciting too to to see. I, honestly, I embrace automation. I love it. It enables me to get more information. Uh, it enables me to to have a better uh, situational awareness. A great example is all this uh, automation for tracking flights and for communications. We're going to data link now. Now I don't have to be talking to a controller. I know exactly what's going to happen. It's coming over the internet. Internet, gosh, listen to me. It's coming over our communications systems, eight cars, and it's being sent to, directly to the airplane. There's no confusion as to what the person said. I'm over the Atlantic, and there's thunderstorms, and I'm using HF radios, and they're all scratchy, and I can hardly hear what the person's saying. Now I get that information directly. It's, it's awesome. Uh, so I think uh, that type of situation where we're having more automation in the cockpit and also electronics is a wonderful thing, and I truly embrace it. Anyway, thanks for the question. Next one comes in. Uh, it says, uh, hey, Carl, love your podcast. Just wanted to share my story as it was a, has helped a few of my former students and fellow pilot friends. After high school, I started college studying criminal justice, then put college on hold to pursue aviation. I know what you are going to say, that I should have done both at the same time. Well, not necessarily, but it's all, hey, it's all your own personal life. It's whatever works for you. Uh, However, I looked into universities with aviation programs and was denied financial aid. So I decided to work hard and pay for my flight training out of pocket at a smaller flight school. After a couple of years, I earned my private, excuse me, my, my ratings, private pilot, commercial, single engine, multi-engine land, and flight instructor certificate. Soon after I started working as a flight instructor, then decided to continue college. After a lot of research, I found a university that credits my ratings and allows me to earn a bachelor's degree in aviation science totally online. After about nine months and 400 hours of instructing, I searched hard to find a jet operation that paid more money than instructing. I loved instructing, but I am married and had to find something to support the family. I hated the thought of possibly working outside of aviation as I took this as a step backwards. I interviewed for many corporate and charter operations, but struggled to land a job. Either I didn't have enough hours or some required a degree. I preserved and eventually found a great job flying freight around the U.S., Canada, and Mexico in a Lear 35, and sometimes charter in Lear 55. It's a great job. And pays very well. I don't know that there was an operation like this out there, and there have been before, but a great time builder as well. Uh, Those looking to build jet time before airlines, small freight companies are a great place to be. I agree. As As I am averaging 70 to 80 hours a month, another perk is the hotels we stay and we don't have to address code when we fly freight. Passer operations, they do as you're on the road and I'm able to do work and continue working on my degree. That's awesome. My goal is to hopefully skip the regionals as I already fly further destinations and make more money in the operation that I'm in and go right into the majors in a year or so. One worry I have is would I be hireable in the majors after flying freight? 
We currently have a senior captain who has tens of thousands of hours turbine PIC and a four-year degree having trouble landing a job flying for the majors. He claims that the airlines won't hire him because it would be hard to teach an old dog new tricks. My worry isn't because of operational differences. Is this true? Okay, let's uh, let's take a let's dissect this a little bit as far as what you're you're talking about as freight dogs. We call them freight dogs. Uh, in the past, uh, most people going to the regionals were freight dogs, building thousands of hours, uh, flying freight, and, uh, and then finally getting on the regionals. Now the air the majors are requiring thousands of hours. You know, as we talked about, you know, there's a lack of qualified pilots, and that's what's happening. It's shifting downwards the number of hours that you need to get to a major. Uh, used to be you need twelve thousand hours, you know, a couple moon landings and a perfect tan to be hired by a major nowadays just a few thousand hours will do it um and and yes uh, first of all to answer your question yes you can definitely go directly to the majors with having this experience now one of the things that that we do when we're looking at and i'm going to be real frank here if i'm interviewing somebody who's been a freight operator uh is that there's there is a perception of freight operators being being freight dogs operating somewhat on the fringes or being cowboys and they're flying etc and, or and you know you have to kind of you know glean that out in the interview what type of flyer is this you know is this somebody who is that you know that persona of the freight dog uh which i don't think is fair but that's just the way it is um or is this somebody that is is truly you know a, a good pilot concerned with safety and will get along with others. Uh, so that's something to look at. A lot of times um, when you're looking at somebody and reasons they're not getting hired, it could be because of other issues. You know, I always, uh, we do a lot of coaching with people like that, and you find out there are sometimes things in their background, et cetera. Now, the interesting thing that you said, and I'll address this as far as teaching an old dog new tricks, um, concerning training. Uh, and, and this is just, something observed in certain training departments i've talked to different ones uh, is that after a certain number of hours uh, the person that's that's having some issues moving forward it doesn't so much matter if they have 10 20 thousand hours uh, teaching an old new tricks that does become an issue and I'll, I'll give you an example let me let me give a good example when we switched at the airline i was flying at from flying just to get this, you know, steam gauges, regular old instruments to all this electronics, you know, electronic ADIs, that type of thing, EFIS, etc. We had a lot of people have problems with that, and or some people, I should say, have problems with that. We're not able to transition. So is it, God, old dog, new tricks. But I, I hate to use that term, but some people do have a difficult time with that transition. Um, some of those people left, went to other careers uh, because of that. Does that happen at the majors, et cetera? That can happen, yes. Um, but it's, uh, and it does it become a challenge for some training departments. When I talk to some people in training, for people that haven't been flying any type of glass, uh, sometimes they have a tough time transitioning. I personally had no time, I didn't have a tough time at all. I just, it just happened. I was like, hey, this is cool. So it really it depends on the individual. And when we talk about that, teaching an old dog new tricks, it again, it depends on the individual. How open, how receptive is that individual to training? Have they had lots of problems learning new items, learning new you know, procedures, that type of thing? Because you know what? In an airline job, you're going to be doing that all the time. You know, if you go out on leave, say you leave for a year or two, I bet you come back to that airline, you won't even recognize the procedures. They're constantly training, they're constantly changing, excuse me, and they're constantly getting better. 
and they're constantly going through training, recurrent training. I mean, I go, I take what, four different uh, tests every year or more than that. I have to take four different courses every year just to keep up with all the different changes. Then I have to go to recurrent training all the time. There's a reason for that because constantly things are training, changing. So uh, again, it's, it's up to the individual. And uh, I don't, I personally don't believe that. If I have somebody that comes in and is interviewing with me that has 25,000 hours, uh, I just look them at them as a 25,000-hour pilot. I will ask them, you know, why, why now? Why are you applying now? Uh, and discover what's going on there. And uh, sometimes we find some people don't make it through those training sessions because of that preconceived notion in their mind of, not, of being an old dog, not being able to teach new tricks you know see what i'm saying it's sometimes up to the individual so make sure that that yeah you are the one that is taking control of your life and taking control of your training program and don't let that get in your way so uh so i hope that's helped you and yes i i feel you'd be a good candidate to move forward oh oh and then one other question gosh one more thing i should say as far as that's concerned one of the concerns we do have with people just uh not flying within the 121 realm is that you you don't have that experience flying for the airlines and understand the operations but that's something you can learn at the regional side it's a lot easier because they spend a little more time on that uh, on operations and how things works at the majors it's not quite as much that they they don't spend as much time so uh, the other people that have challenges with that are the military pilots. They come in and they've never seen 121, and they're like, "What in the world is all this stuff? You know, this gate hold stuff, and how do we operate?" Uh, and it just it's 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 like anything else. It's a challenge, and you you move forward with that challenge. I will say one thing about the military pilots is the reason that they don't have as as many problems because it's it's psychological. They have been trained to overcome obstacles, and in all their training, they've they've said, "Okay, you can move forward, uh, you can do this." And they that's one thing I really like about the military training. It's in your head, man. It's you can you can overcome this. You can overcome this challenge, and you've done it before, and you can do it again. And that's why a lot of times, even though they have challenges in the in the operating environment, they learn quickly because they know they can do it. They've overcome challenges in the past, and that's what you should be like. You should be able to be confident knowing that you can overcome those challenges. There's some good operational books about it. Um, as a matter of fact, we should do a whole episode just on 121, or maybe I should do a video on how operations work at the 121 and do uh, terms. But you've heard me talk about it a little bit throughout here. So I'm excited about your change. I think that's really cool. I think you're really lucky to be flying a jet. Uh, I agree. Um, there's a lot of operators out there that can fly. Uh, jet time, uh, especially some of these Lear operators. As a matter of fact, I have a friend that's after about a thousand hours or so is now uh, flying a Lear jet. So I think that's totally cool and, and good for you. Uh, let's see. Thanks for that question, and uh, hope that's helped you there. Uh, let, let me get one more question, and then we'll close up here. It says, uh, Mr. Valeri, I listen to your podcast in the mornings on the way to work, and it is truly a great resource for answering questions about the industry. A little bit about me. I'm currently an officer in the Marines, about to transition to civilian life after serving my four years. So we appreciate your service. Thanks for that. I will have just under, I will have just turned 29, and I'm entering into a flight training program. 
and a four-year program, which I can complete in two years with no cost to me due to the GI Bill funding, with the ultimate goal of flying professionally. I'm open to any of the varied career paths that flying offers with the ultimate goal of flying for a major airline. It seems that currently the most sustainable path is through Part 121 Regional Carrier for the time and experience, and we'll be pursuing that. Good, And you're right. Boy, I tell you what, the experience is awesome. And you will gain a ton of time flying uh, for the regionals, a ton of time. Um, He continues, I have the opportunity to fly in the reserves as a C-130 pilot and wondering what would be the best path for me with an ultimate goal of flying as a civilian profession. The Naval Aviator Pipeline spans approximately two to three years start to finish. In that time, I would be able to complete close to 1,000 hours for the restricted ATP through the college that he's in. However, would not have the opportunity to fly large multi-engine turboprop aircraft afterwards if I went to the school route instead of the reserve pilot route. What do you think as a wise career move? Again, thanks for your advice and the podcast. First of all, uh, there's a lot here. I don't know a lot about your personal life, and we obviously can't talk about that on here. So uh, I always encourage people that have these specific type of questions to to possibly look into a one-on-one coaching with me. But with that said, in general, uh, without knowing a lot about your personal situation, you know, kids, if you're single, etc., uh, yeah, it'd be great to build that time uh, as far as with the reserves. Uh, remember that once you are in the reserves, uh, you will be required possibly uh, to be deployed. Uh, there's always that possibility. Right now, with going through a school program, there's the benefit of you are going to build a lot of time flight instructing because schools are doing really well, especially the one that you mentioned. We didn't actually mention it, but the one you mentioned is a very good school, and you can build a lot of hours uh, moving into the uh, regional carriers. I, right now, currently, uh, not knowing your situation, it seems that the regional route would be the best for you. Um, uh, but as far as a backup plan, having that that you know, having that military background is awesome. You know, being able to have something to fall back on is, is really, really cool. But you're talking a few years. I mean, that's a lot of years. Within that time, you'd be hired by a regional, and you'd probably be close to being a captain. You were talking two to three years start to finish. You're probably going to be at a 121 carrier uh, as a captain. So uh, something to think about there. Uh, and also another thing is you can, you can possibly go back to the to the military. Now, with that said, and the, the reason we're talking about this online is the fact that, in general, this is general advice. Uh, your specific situation is very important. So, you know, possibly, you know, like we do the coaching. Again, that's it's a one hour is seventy five dollars for the first hour, and that's what we charge per hour after that, of course. Um, but with that said, uh, again, currently, the fastest path is going the the route of getting the degree uh, or just getting the flight time and going to the airlines. Uh, you know, we talked just a little something about the degree. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close with this. The degree, is it important? Uh, yes. The majors require a four-year degree. I keep saying that. There are, now with that said, there are exceptions to that. There are people that are getting hired and being interviewed with no degree. And people are going to yell and say, no, that's not true. Yes, it is true. We almost all the airlines advertise you have to have a degree. The individual is most important. Their flying is most important. 
Uh, I'm not I'm not downplaying the degree at all. You should have it. 99% of the people have it. But there are people that are out there being interviewed and hired with no degree at all. Have they been through a degree program or are they enrolled in one? Yes. Uh, but have they completed it? No. There's a few of those. I just was with uh, a person that uh, did not have a degree and was invited to, to interview with a major airline just because of that person's background. Uh, they invited the person in. And so if you have a good flying background, you have a lot of experience flying. Honestly, that's the most important thing to me. Uh, I'm, I'm not in charge of the hiring department where I work or anywhere. Uh, I want to know about you. I want to know about your flying. Uh, flying an airplane is number one importance to me. Having that degree is important. Uh, also to me as a recruiter saying that, hey, listen, you know, you've been able to go through a very strenuous study program and you can stick with it because studying to be an airline pilot when you get to the majors is not easy. It's like drinking from a fire hose. I don't like to say that too much because it scares people, but it truly is a tough thing. And going back to the whole thing, what I said before about the why the military pilots do well because they've been through it and they know they can overcome. The same thing with if you've been through a 121 training. I've been through many 121 trainings. The first one, I was scared. The second one, I was nervous, right? The third one, fourth one, fifth one, it was like, yeah, I've done this before. Uh, I knew what to do. I knew how to make the experience uh, go well. And I try to talk about that here on the show a lot. Study as much as you can before you get there. Memorize everything you can and be ready for it. And uh, it's really something that's that's important to do. And I know that tomorrow if I went to a different airline, I could do well in their training program because I know how to study for it. I know what they're looking for. And I know I've done it before. That's it right there. It's the confidence factor. You got to have that confidence factor. Do you have the confidence factor? You should. Because everybody that's been writing in today and in general, I think you're confident in something you do in your life. Now, let's translate that to your aviation career. Are you a confident aviator? You should be. Not cocky, you know, not complacent, but confident. Anyway, thanks for that question. Thanks for your service. I appreciate it. Uh, I appreciate everybody listening today. I hope this really has inspired and has informed you. And uh, like I said, I try to be as transparent as possible. I'm still in the midst of moving, just a little bit about my life right now, and uh, moving into our Lakeland home, hopefully, in the next few weeks. It's just been a, a slow transition because of the whole you know, some people are, are military listening to this, uh, going through the VA loan process. Just takes a little while, that's all. And uh, it's uh, it's going to get done. And just like anything else in life, you just have to be confident that things will get done and done right. Great questions. This has been some awesome stuff. Are you a confident aviator? I hope so. Think about that. Think about that before the next episode. Are you confident in what you're doing? And that comes through in your interview, too, when you move to the airlines. And uh, what builds confidence? Experience does. And experience in life builds confidence, too, knowing that you can make it and you can do it. And I think that's important. And one thing I'd like you to do is is just take that one step today to move forward in your career. And one of the things I want you to do as far as that step is concerned is think, think inside yourself. Look inside yourself and say, am I a confident aviator? What have I done to make myself more confident as an aviator? And take that step today. It may be studying something. It may be doing something that makes you more confident, like practicing landings and doing a great job on a landing. And that might build your confidence and might be getting in the simulator, shooting an incredible approach down to minimums or whatever. It might be studying for an exam and getting 100, working towards that 100 on that exam. Whatever it is, do it. Do it today. Folks, I really appreciate you listening. Talk to you next episode and safe flying. You have been listening to Aviation Careers Podcast, an aviation podcast about living your dream and pursuing an exciting aviation career. 
This aviation podcast is produced by the Valeri Aviation Corporation. Although hosts or guests may receive compensation for products and services discussed in this podcast, compensation never influences our opinion. Before purchasing any product or service, you should always do your own research. Music by Billy Wheeler. All rights reserved.